This is actually the last of it, and uh, <coughs> I kind of planned it that way, a little bit short. Um, looking at this idea of crossing over, uh, we talked about this, obviously, boundaries, lakes, seas, uh, rivers. Uh, we looked at the Red Sea, of course. We looked at uh, the Jordan River. Those are the main ones that people cross over. And many times when they're crossing over, they're coming into another dimension. And so we're looking at the things that are involved in that, things that change in their lives, things that change in their faith, things that change in them. And uh, so uh, that's kind of what we're doing and trying to see what all is involved for them to break through from one side to the other, just like you and I breaking through in our own personal lives from one dimension to another, right? And so we looked at all different things, you know, obstacles and from our past. And this week we want to look at crossing over into discipleship. Matthew chapter 8 is going to be our text for this study, and then we'll, obviously we'll said we we're going to bring this to an end, but uh, Matthew chapter 8, so Phil, get me 18 through 27, that is our opening text. Then we need to line up some scripture, you can help me out here, it's not buckets of it this week, amen? Well, there is, <laughs> second page. Um, John chapter 2, 23 through 25, Lisa. I need Matthew 19, 20, and 21. Pretty. Can you get me Hebrews 11, 17? I need uh, Pia. You can get me Matthew 8, 18. Santina, you can get me Matthew 8, 19, and 20. And Leah, I saw your hand. Matthew 8, 21, and 22. Okay. So that will get us for this first section here. Crossing over into discipleship. Matthew 8, 18 through 27. They're crossing over the Ga Sea of Galilee. Go ahead. supposed to be crossing over, bro. Uh, you, you got Matthew, right? Matthew 8, 18? Yeah, Matthew 8, 18, yeah. That was a good scripture and everything, but I don't know if I can make that work <laughs> in my text. Yeah, maybe. Matthew 8, 18 through 27. Okay, crossing over into discipleship. 
Let's consider, first of all, making demands. Jesus understands human nature very well, okay? He understands it very well. John 2, 23 through 25. So he understands human nature is what this text is saying, right? I mean, here he is. He's done many miracles. People are convinced that he's the Messiah. And yet we read he doesn't really trust this because he understands human nature. He understands people that talk is cheap, right? People say one thing, they do another. They make commitments, but they don't really mean it. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, uh, you know the, that the first words out of their mouths are not necessarily the true words they're saying. And so he doesn't, he's not getting excited because people are believing in him. Because he understands human nature. He understands people. Amen. He knows that people are impulsive. Right? He, he knows that, you know, on one hand, they... Uh, they say things they don't mean at all. On the other hand, uh, they say things they mean, obviously. They, they, they're not lying, you know what I'm saying? But they're impulsive. They say things. They make commitments. And then later on, they don't stick to their commitments. I mean, isn't that one of the things you see in, even in living for God? Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, just take the new year. We probably all made a few commitments. I would imagine. Maybe not. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you just blew it off. But a lot of times we do. That's just kind of a turning point where we make commitments. Whether it's, you know, things of the physical nature or the spiritual nature, what does it matter? But, you know, you have to ask yourself, am I, all these things, and you just said it to yourself. You didn't tell anybody else. This year's going to be different. I'm going to. And all of a sudden you're sitting here at Blue Monday. I think it was last Monday. <laughs> and you're going, wait a minute. I meant it when I said it, but I don't follow through. I'm impulsive. And so sometimes people don't, they jump the gun. They don't stick to their guns as we say amen. So, you know, when Jesus is talking, you'll notice it seems that he made things hard for people. When you read the statements, sometimes for our own, our human sensibilities, we think, oh, it's a bit harsh. Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. You know, I'm saying, you know, we get a little carried away, you know, in our minds. It's like there's a reason behind what he's saying. There's a reason because he understands human nature. He understands the fickleness. He understands, you know, uh, you know, the commitment level many times. People say things, don't mean it. People say things, they're not, they mean it, but obviously they don't really stick with it. And so he does this deliberately, amen. And he does this for people who want to follow him. Matthew 19, 20 and 21. What an interesting statement. Now, this is a rich young ruler. Now, this is a catch. I mean, we all want the rich young ruler in our church. <laughs> It's like, yeah, what do I have to do? Just come to church. 
just relax. Just serve the Lord. Make it easy on yourself. No, he doesn't tell that to this guy. He goes, well, okay, since you asked, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. It's like, whoa. It's like, man, you let that guy walk out the door. You should have brought him in little by little, Jesus. You should have kind of, you know, reeled him in. You ever go fishing? You talk about fishing. You hang out with fishermen. Come on, just reel him in, man. Reel him in. He doesn't do that, does he? Bible uses two words many times. They use the word test, and it uses the word try. Basically the same words. Hebrews 11, verse 17. You know, I've had people tell me that this shouldn't be in the Bible. That now that wasn't God. It's just the opposite. It is God. God will test you. He will try you. Amen. He tested Abraham. That word testing is a, a saying. It's how testing of metals. In other words, it's, it's not like here. It's, it's gold. Well, it's, we'll see if it's gold, right? I'm sure pawnbrokers do the same thing. Yeah, it's gold. It's my mom's a ring. My mom's 105, so you know it's good gold. And guy checks it out and goes, no, it ain't. It's junk. Get out of here. He tests it. He tries it. And that's really what we're looking at here. Amen. It's simply the idea of determining what is real. What is real. Disciple is one who follows Jesus. Amen. And there's always going to be a test to see if it's genuine. And it's not just one test. It's not like when I first got saved, Jesus tested me and I passed the test. And here I am, still driving. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like, no, it's a test that goes on all the time. Still testing. No matter how old you are, how long you've been following Jesus, there's no pass. There's no seniority pass that says, I've gotten to a certain place. And God backs off. No, he still tests. Look at Abraham. Abraham's an old man. Abraham, is, he's passed so many tests up to now. And then probably the most hardest test is this one we read about. Now I want you to offer your son. It's like, I left home. I left mom and dad. I, I mean, when is it ever going to end? And what does God say when it's all said and done? Now I know that you love me more than anything else. I tested you. And you not just passed the test, but you were, you were determined. You were determined to be real. You really are who you say you are. You're a father of Jesus Christ. You're a lover of God. No matter what happens in life, it's like, you know what? It does, I don't care what test I face. I'm going to come up gold. I'm going to come up the real thing. And that's exactly what happened with Abraham. Amen. See, the reason for this is because we change over time, don't we? Amen. We do. Every one of us. As we get older, we change. You know, I, I find it sometimes even in my own life. Eh, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. I've been doing this for so long. You know, I analyze things. Who says you have to read your Bible in a year? I mean, think about that statement. How moronic. You read other books from beginning to end, and all of a sudden the Bible becomes this like mountain. You're going to go, ah, how can I just read this book in a year? 
how can this happen? How can it be done? Are you kidding me? You can probably read it through 10 times in a year if you really wanted to. And so we, we can pull back and start questioning everything. Coming to church, reading my Bible, praying every, every day. I mean, like seven out of seven. Is that really necessary? <laughs> you know what I mean? We just scoff at things. See, the enemy never sleeps. And he works on us over time. He's a patient. He, he's a master strategist. And strategy many times takes time. He works on us. That's why older people, older saints, do things they would have never done the first five years of their salvation. They would have never done it. And yet they get older, and they have no problem doing things that once upon a time they would have never done. That's why the test is there. Where are you at? Are you genuine? Jesus has the right to make demands of us. Amen. In this text, the reason why we read this text, obviously they're crossing over. We didn't see a lot of that. But the, the crossing over is in the context of discipleship. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Matthew 8.18. Okay, so here he is. The whole story is about crossing the lake. Amen. But there is, there is this interruption. Amen. Matthew 8, 19 and 20. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean? I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. Jesus says, well, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he telling this guy? What is this about? What is that statement about, Phil? There's a price to pay. What else? Okay. Okay, ease and comfort. Not about ease and comfort, about sacrifice. Yeah, something else, though. What is, what is he driving at here? What is the issue he's saying? Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's, it's about security, amen. It's about security. As our story is about crossing over, amen, right? This side of the lake, everything's going well. Why do we have to cross the lake? Think about that. Why are we crossing the lake? Because you know what on the other side of the lake is the maniac, the demoniac. There's people on the other side. Why are we going over to the Gentiles? Those people eat pork. <laughs> what is the point? Because if you notice in Scripture, he crosses over, then he crosses back. It's like, what was that all about? Why are you crossing over? Amen. And so the whole idea is that here, here's the Jesus on this side. Why don't we just stay on this side of the lake? We've got the multitudes following. Miracles are happening. Uh, you know, you know. Jesus, he's succeeding. You know, all these things are happening. And all of a sudden he says, all right, get in the boat. We're crossing over. And he has this interruption. This is what you have to take notice of when you're reading scripture. Because the story is flowing and all of a sudden, er, we have an interruption. It's like, what is that? 
that needs to get your attention. And that's what happens here. This is about security. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, right? They have homes. They have places where they're secure. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. That was you, Leah. Okay, so the first one's about security. In other words, Jesus, ha Jesus has the right to make demands on us. And sometimes it's going to unsettle your security. Well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, well, I'm secure like here. The second one here, you know the story. He's, he, it's, it's not a cold story. Okay? It's not like my dad's dying. My dad's died, and i got to go bury him. Yeah, stop that. Let the family bury him. No, it, it's not that at all. It's, it's a tradition is what we're talking about. What happens is, is the oldest son stays on board, stays at the home until the father dies. And when the father dies, he takes care of business, right? And so that's really what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait here. This is what we do. This is our society, our culture. This is how we do things. My allegiance is to my family. And Jesus says, no, if you're the follower of me, your allegiance is to me. Your allegiance is to Jesus above family. And he says, no, let the dead bury the dead, but you follow me. You do the will of God. And so that's what he's telling him here, amen. In other words, he's making a demand upon him. He's making a demand upon his life. I'm first in your life. You know, by and large, this is why sometimes people don't follow Jesus. They won't say that. I talked to a lady yesterday. It's the same thing. She's, she got saved. She was excited, going to church, and she's like, well, you know, the church is, it was, you know, church is acting like, you know, just serving God with everything. Okay. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know. And, and she goes, it, it was like a cult, you know, putting Jesus first and all that. And I'm thinking, how do I answer this, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, he is the God. <laughs> He is the creator of the universe. He did die for you. You know, you could be going to hell. In fact, you probably are going to hell. I didn't say that. <laughs> because you've walked away from this. Because there was demands put on her life. Do you understand what I'm saying? And now she's saying the church is a cult. She's saying, you know, I'm not going to be part of this group. It's like, oh, so Jesus can't make demands on your life anymore. He says, I haven't been to church in a long time. What kind of church is your church? <laughs> so, well, it's probably the same as the church you came from, you know what I mean? We're not going to make you wear a uniform and take courses and stuff. I don't know, you know. I'm, but, you know, Jesus still, we're still going to preach faithfulness, commitment. We're going to preach, you know, what the Bible preaches, right? Jesus makes demands on people's lives. This is one of the whole movements today in the church world. It's like, just come. Just get, we're seeker sensitive. What do you want in the church? It's just the opposite. It's the Bible telling us what we need, not what we want. That's what we do everywhere. We do that at Kmart. Well, no, we don't do it at Kmart. Kmart's done. Sorry, old <laughs> illustration off the book. We do that at Walmart. We do that at Fred Myers. 
this store doesn't have anything I want. I'm not coming back here again. That's your choice. That's why they stock the shelves up to the ceiling. That's why you can go down the toilet paper aisle and say 19 different brands of toilet paper. Large, double stuff, big, soft, extra soft, cheap, expensive. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I remember when I worked at Target, I couldn't believe how many paper towels there were. There were big rolls, small rolls, uh, big sheets, sheets cut. In half. I mean, it was just like, why? <laughs> Only in America. Look at the cereal aisle. The, the cereal aisle. It's a whole aisle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whatever happened to like, you know, Cheerios, Fruit Loops, get over it. <laughs> You don't like it? Go eat, make some eggs. I don't know. <laughs> but that's how we are. What do you have for me? Jesus makes demands. Amen. You know, people get saved. They respond, amen. But when the demands come, it's like, I want to go to heaven, but not that bad. It's really true. It really is. So this interruption shows, really, that God makes demands. And the boat is leaving. Are you going to be on board? Are you still on board with this? The boat is leaving. Are you going to be in the boat? Or are you going to draw back and go, wait a minute here. Birds have nests. Foxes have holes. What's up with this? We don't have anything like that. You get what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God makes demands on our lives. You have to see that in Scripture. You have to understand that that's part of discipleship. God makes demands on our lives. And I will say this. They're the best demands. He's taking us somewhere, right? If it wasn't for God, I'd be going to hell, right? I'd be going to hell. He's taking me to heaven. And by nature of that, he has to put demands upon my life because I, I, I have autopilot. My autopilot is to hell. It's what I am. I'm, I'm flesh. That's my autopilot. I self-destruct. But Jesus saves me. He goes out on the limb for me. He dies for me, which is what I told this lady. Jesus died for me. My sin. He didn't die for his own sin. He died for my sin. He didn't have to do that. He did it because he loves me. He cares for me. He can make demands upon our lives. Any thoughts this morning? Lisa? Sorry.
Yeah, very true. You know, there are testings along the way. You know, it's not, it's not it's a major test every day, you know, but there are testings that we all face. Amen. So this, this crossing of the water, first of all, it, it begins with the testing of your heart. Right? It's the testing of your heart. Let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. And then he tells his disciples, which might not just be 12. There's, there was a lot of people following Jesus in those days. And remember, he sent out the 70, you know. So I don't know how many people are here. It's not necessarily just 12 men, and that's it. And so he tells his disciples, get in the boat. Some might be holding back going, I ain't getting in that boat. Any thoughts this morning other than that? And that. Thanks. Carry on. Yeah, 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 yeah. First thing they did is they went back to the fishers. You know, they went back to what they knew they were doing. Yeah. Because they had that great knowledge. And even Jesus goes after them, right? He goes back to restore. Because we do have that, you know, that's one of the famous words. I, I get all these old preachers that preach, and that's one of their sermons that almost every one of them preach. It's entitled, I Go a Fishing. <laughs> And they all preach on that subject of Peter going back to fishing, and they all felt, went with them. And so good point, amen. Let's look secondly at determining direction. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm definitely having a hard time seeing here this morning. Go ahead. I know, I got four eyes. You'd think I'd pick it up. Yeah, anyone else? <laughs> All right. Let's move on now. <laughs> Let's look at determining direction. Let's line up a few more scriptures. Luke chapter 5, verse number 8, Lisa. Matthew 8, 23, 10. Uh, John 7, verse 6, McLean. Uh, Phil hit me, Luke 24, 49. I need Matthew 8, 18, uh, Nick. Santina, get me 1 Kings 17, 3 and 4. I need Acts 16, 7, Pia. I need Matthew 8, 28, Caitlin. And then I need Acts 10, 13 through 16, <laughs> Leah. Uh, determining direction. Built into this idea is um, of being a disciple is actually, first of all, submission. Disciple is a learner. He's one who receives instructions, well, from another. Amen. 
the only way we can really demonstrate being a disciple is if we receive direction, right? And that is what we see in our text. The only ones that got in the boat were the disciples, if you know what I'm saying. They received direction. Jesus said, get in the boat. Luke 5, verse 8. You know, it's interesting. This is the, the first, this is the beginning of Peter's discipleship, if you will, right? They cast the net in, pull up the sh a fish, and Peter's obviously smitten by the whole thing. He knows who he is and what he is. And he calls him Lord, amen. In other words, you have the right to make decisions about my life, amen. You can determine the direction of my life, amen. See, if God can't make any decisions that are going to cross your will, then he's not God. You are. Because that's what's going to happen. He's going to make decisions that are going to cross your will. Nobody gets as far as some of us have gotten if our will hasn't been crossed a dozen times. <laughs> well, I want to. Yeah, well, I want you to. Who's Lord? I know. So he's not your buddy. He's not your peer. He's Lord. He's Lord. And he, he makes decisions regard, regarding your direction in life. Ernie, did you raise a hand? Good grief. What is my problem this morning? Man, did I not get enough sleep or what? I am just... Messed up here. Okay. So now we're getting into the story of crossing the river, crossing the water. Amen. And so God has some rights, in other words. He has some rights to make some determinations in your life. One of them is he has the right of timing. Matthew 8, 23. Okay, so it says, and when he entered the boat. Amen. You know, even things that are God's will and God wants us to have. Amen. Uh, and, you know, he, you know, you want to have them as well. Amen. Uh, he's the one who determines when. There's timing in God's economy. There's timing in individual lives. It's not the same as other individual lives. I saw that as I was coming through and, you know, and God was moving in my life and different things, but I saw other people. And this is where we have to get, be careful. We don't get envious or jealous and all these different things. And it seemed like certain people were at certain places that I would want to be, but I wasn't. Not realizing that there's a timing involved in my life, that God, he's working with me. And sometimes you can see other people, other marriages, other Whatever it might be, financial situations, spirituality, people being used by God. And you think, you know, but there's a timing. He's working with me. He's working with my pluses and my minuses. And none of us like to, you know, admit to our minuses, <laughs> our deficits, you know what I'm saying? But we all have them, you know. But the thing is, he's working with me. Amen. He loves me as much as he loves anyone else. And there's a timing that he's at, involved in 
in our individual lives. Amen. He can determine the when. John 7, verse 6. And so, again, we see this issue of timing. They recognize that he's the Messiah. They want to, they want to you know, elevate him to a certain level. He says, no, not this time. This is not the timing of it. Amen. Now is not, not yes, I am the Messiah, but not yet. That time is going to come. Luke 24, 49. No, isn't that interesting? He tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he says, not yet. There's a timing. He says, you need to go into Jerusalem. Obviously, they're in the upper room. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows what he's doing. So, so there's the command that he wants to bring about in our lives. There's things he wants to bring about in our lives. But there's a timing factor. And you'll find that. It's just like, it's not yet. So so here's God determining direction for our lives, direct, you know, and, and what he has for our lives, but there's a timing involved in that. You know, some people overstep that. Some people, you know, they get out of time with God. They try to get ahead of God. Or, or, or you know, or they, or because of the frustration, they decide they go a different direction. It's like, no, this, God has a timing involved. He can determine the right time. Amen. He has the right of placement. That's what we're going to call it anyways. Matthew 8, 18. So here it is. The will of God is on the other side. Amen. Something that was said many years ago, Pastor Mitchell preached this. Uh, it was like a revelation. That is God has an address. The will of God has an address. What was happening is because people wander. They come and they go. They wander. And what was happening in Prescott is hippies were wandering. They were going through it. Why Prescott? Don't ask me why. It's, at the time, it was like 20,000 people was up in the mountains. Like people from the East Coast are there, Massachusetts, you know, uh, New Jersey, New York. You know, people are from all over the country for some reason are there. Passing through the hippie mentality, going to the West Coast, and they were getting saved. And their whole mindset was, is, you know what, I can do anything I want to do. I can go anywhere I want to go and serve God. But that's not true. That's not true. Amen. God was saving them when he saved them and where he saved them. This is my whole, my whole point of my whole life. Amen. It's like God saved me when he saved me, but he saved me where he saved me. And it's so demonstrable in my life. I mean, it's not like I wasn't in certain places at certain times. Never felt anything. But when I stepped into the potter's house in Thetford, England, God dealt with me. Dealt with me. And that's where I put my umbilical cord. That's where I buried my umbilical cord, right there. Not knowing the things I know today, but I knew something. That was where God saved me. That's where God had me, amen. God's will has an address, amen. It, it has everything to do with, you know, serving God where you're at, not wherever you're at. Some people got this, I can go anywhere and do anything. You can, but you can't. Getting saved, planting yourself where God wants you to be. 
And you'll find this in different references throughout Scripture. 1 Kings 17, 3 and 4. There. There. It was a place. Not over here. Ravens can feed you anywhere. Well, I want to be over. No. There. <laughs> See, God's will has an address. Acts 16, verse 7. So here's people who are genuine. They want to preach the gospel everywhere they go. They know that the, the command is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and that's what they're doing. So here they are. They've got an agenda. They're moving this direction, and the Spirit of God says no. That the will of God is over here. And we know that if you look into history, that's when the gospel went from, went from Asia to Europe and to what we enjoy as the Western world today. Major, major ramifications in that one, one act right there. In that one moment when Paul heard from God, changed the course of history for nations because he heard what the Spirit of God said. Everything in him, he's a good man. He's not a rebel. He's a good man, and he has every desire to continue on the path that he's on. And yet God says, no, my will is over here. And he changed directions and went the other way. Amen. There's a third thing. Not only the right of timing or the right of placement, but he has the right of people connections. Matthew 8, 28. Okay, so here he is. And he's in, they, like I said, they're Gentiles. Amen. Why would we even be there? Like I said, these people eat pork. It's just, it's just horrible. Amen. These are people who are not like us. You know why they're there? Because it's a test. And we know even Peter later on has a hard time with this. Amen. He's not, he's not totally getting on board with this in his own mind. Acts chapter 10, 13 through 16. Okay, so, you know, here's Peter, and he gets a visual object lesson, amen, that he doesn't want to minister to these people. These people are different than he is. They're, 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 uh, they can be different many different ways. They can be different racially. They can be different culturally. Uh, they can be just people who are unpleasant, like the demoniac. And God says, I want you to minister to them. It's interesting, this lady that I talked to yesterday She's of a Filipino descent. She says, do you, do you, is it okay if a Filipino comes to your church? I'm thinking, how weird is that? I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll check you at the door. If you fit, we'll make, you can come in. But if not, we'll kick you out and go somewhere else. <laughs> There's certain cultures we don't like. There's just certain people we just don't like. So you know how that is. No, we minister to everyone. Church should be like a United Nations. 
care what the outside, I don't care what the casing is, the culture is, the weirdness is. We get some demoniacs that come in here, come on. It's like, oh, no, not, oh. God says, I'm bringing you these people. Are you going to minister to them? Are you going to give your life to them? And so this could be a test for our own hearts. Amen. So crossing over is a test not only of our hearts, but a test of our submission. Are we going to do the will of God? Any thoughts before we move on? One more section. You know how it is. It always works in threes, right? <laughs> it's the holy three. Amen. Let's look lastly at being in the storm. Did anybody raise their hand and I didn't see it this time? Something's wrong. I don't know what it is. I'll figure it out later. I need some scripture. You can help me out. Hopefully I can see your hands. Eight, Matthew 8, um, uh, 23 and 24. Nick? I need Matthew 14, 22 through 24. Phil? I need Matthew 8, 25 and 26. Abigail? I need Matthew 8, 24. Um, uh, Ken, you can get that. I need Philippians 4, 7. McLean and Santina, get me Matthew 8, 26. So let's look at being in the storm. And so there's just a few things as we bring it to a close. Every follower of Jesus has to understand that in following Jesus, there's going to be storms. Matthew 8, 23 and 24. Okay, so this is not a surprise to Jesus. You know that Jesus knows there's going to be a storm coming. Surprise to the disciples, of course, amen. And storms come for various reasons. We know that Jonah had a storm, but it was because of his rebellion, his disobedience, right? He caused that. He, he was the reason for that storm. But in this one, the only reason for the storm is they're following Jesus. And sometimes following Jesus is going to bring us into storms in life. And that's just something you have to, to, you know, consider in following Jesus. It's like the security thing. You know, this guy wants security. You know what I'm saying? Foxes have holes, birds, you know, and, and Jesus, well, whether he does or not, Jesus is laying that out. He says, I have no place to lay my head. And so, you know, life is precarious. And following Jesus is not, it's not going to be like the perfect, smooth road. Amen. There's going to be a few bumps in the road. And so there's going to be some storms. Matthew 14, 22 through 24. I wonder if he was watching it. <laughs> a little different scenario, a different time, but uh, he wasn't with them, but he sends them by themselves, and they get hit by a storm. So the part, point is simply this, that in following Jesus, don't be surprised that there's a storm, amen, it's part of following Jesus. But secondly, you need to, every, every follower of Jesus or disciple of Jesus needs to find peace in the storm needs to find peace in the storm. Amen. There, you know, this storm was, was 
in this storm, it, it exposed their lack of faith. It exposed their tendency to give in to fear. Matthew 8, 25 and 26. Okay, so obviously their giveaways, their fear, the you know, lack of little faith. Jesus points it right out. Amen. He doesn't hide it. And he just simply shows the attitude that they need to have. And, you know, you and I need to find that peace in the middle of the storm. There's going to be storms in following Jesus. It really is. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he knew it was coming. So, yeah, you're right. He sleeps and uh, he's not worried. <laughs> well, that's where we're at. Eight, Matthew 8, 24. And suddenly the, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Okay, so Jesus is asleep because he knows the outcome. See, he knows the end of the story. So no matter what you and I are facing sometimes, you know, sometimes we can be in the middle of the storm, but just know this, that Jesus knows the end from the beginning, even in your storm. He knows the outcome. So he can go down in the middle of the boat and go to sleep. And so no matter, I mean, we can't. <laughs> that's, that's where the faith needs to kick in and believe God to bring us through the storm to, you know, sooner or later, he's going to rebuke the wind and the wave, and there's going to be a calm. And we've probably all experienced that, and that's just what you have to find in the middle of the storm. You have to find that calm. You have Philippians 4, verse 7. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? The peace of God that surpasses understanding. Because it's, it's not something that has to quite make sense. You know, sometimes you can go through some things, and it's like, but I just feel the peace of God on this. You know, you need that sometimes, because sometimes storms can be long. <laughs> sometimes your storms can be just raging, and you don't even know why. You, you know, you can be in a battle for... Who knows, you know, sometimes you battle things, but for some reason you just have a peace. You have a, a carrying on, you know, it's like they say in England, keep calm and carry on, you know. It's, it's, just, it's just something that is, um, it's just there. It's, it, it's, it, it goes beyond understanding. You're battling in, in this phase of life, this time of life. It's a storm. It's real. And sometimes you don't even know why. You know, these guys don't know why. They're in the middle of it, you know what I'm saying? They're just, they know they're in the boat because Jesus said, get in the boat and go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're, submit, you know, they pass the submission test, but it's like, oh, great. I'm submitting to God and my life is falling apart. <laughs> I'm submitting to God and the boat's going to sink. It's like, well, first of all, it's not. That's the whole idea. And second of all, there's a peace to be found in the midst of the storm. And lastly, of course, every follower of Jesus needs to know that Jesus 
can calm the storm. I know this is very simple, isn't it? Sometimes you've got to go over the simple things, amen, because we all go through storms, and we know that. We face things in our own personal lives. We face things in relationships. We face things in the church, in my walk with God, just all kinds of things. In the home, on the job, in the school, you know, storms that we face. And it's like we need to know that there are going to be, sometimes it just helps. Sometimes the basics are the best. Well, there's going to be storms. And I don't care. I can have Pete. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He's looking right now. Just like when he was on the mountain to pray. I'm convinced he was watching the guys. They're probably screaming, going crazy. He's smirking. No, maybe not. I don't know. He's going to come walking on the water. <laughs> He's going to walk right out by him. <laughs> Sense of humor, I think. I don't know. And, uh, but they can, you can find a peace in it. But lastly, you've got to know that he can calm the storm. Matthew 8, 26. Okay, so he changes the situation, and he can change the factors in life. He can change it, amen. And he does. He does over and over again. So, you know, as we're looking at this whole thing, obviously the first section, the hearts are exposed, then submission is tested, and the whole point after they cross over is there's a different dimension. Something has changed in them. And that is the whole idea, amen. God put something in them. They ministered to a demoniac, which they would rather not, amen. But they actually weren't doing the ministering. Jesus was. But they see this man clothed and in his right mind. They see God's heart for someone like that, even though they might not necessarily have that heart. Something's, they've been exposed to things that will change them for the rest of their lives. The dots will connect as they minister. And those dots connecting will take these men right to the end of their lives to where they are willing to die for the faith. They all connect. They have to. It wasn't just a pact they signed. It wasn't just a decision. They're just rugged men. Yeah, I'll die for this. You know, we're not talking communists or something. We're talking believers in Jesus Christ. God is putting the dots together in their lives, amen. As they cross over into these dimensions in their lives, things are changing. And because of that, they can, they can carry on right to the end. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? He who endures to the end shall be saved. Right to the end, to where they'll even be willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ, amen. Our salvation is built on this. It's built on the apostles and the prophets. It's the foundation Amen. Solid foundation. We are here because of them. Amen. And ultimately because of Jesus. Any thoughts? Lisa.
absolutely. And not only that, but we, we stay disciples to the end. Where does disciple stop? Right? Where does that full-on living for God disciple stop? It never does, does it? That's why this is here. We cross over into dimensions that God has for us that we will remain a disciple to the end. Not just a believer. That's how we started. <laughs> we started as a believer, amen. But we're meant to finish as a disciple of Christ. I will follow you anywhere. And they did. They followed him right to, to their death because they were disciples. And that's what this testing is all about, that we would remain disciples, not just believers, but disciples in Christ. Any thoughts? Crossing over. Thought-provoking, isn't it? I hope it is. Amen. Lord bless you. Let's get ready for church.